Hey, what's up, guys? You are listening to Live It with Jake Sullivan. My name is Sam Fisher, and I am the co-host here on the podcast. And I'm super excited to dig into what God has in store for this episode. So thanks for listening. And if you want to follow along with Jake's story, new content, or just know when the newest episodes are going to drop, go ahead and follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play Music. Peace. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Live It with Jake Sullivan. Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm excited to, yeah, get these episodes going and, and kind of share this journey that the Lord has had me on over the last, really the last 20 years is, um, yeah, he's just done a work in my life. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm super excited to get this started. This has been a really cool like project to just see go underway and yeah. just kind of, for lack of better words, see how the Lord has started to unfold. So just kind of kicking into this, um, what are we going to be talking about today? Just jumping right into this story. Yeah, even just talking about this podcast, right? Just taking that first step in obedience and saying, Lord, what do you want to do with this? But what I really want to do over these next six months is is I want to begin to share my journey with mental illness, how that place of suffering and those trials and those difficulties ultimately eventually led me to the foot of the cross, and then how I began to experience healing through the good news of, of God's word and, and what Jesus has done for us, and then begin to help others. How, how are we going to begin to help others and equip others yeah. um, walking in the journey yeah. of mental illness? So excited to begin to share my story yeah. And, yeah. and all that the Lord has done through it. Cool. Awesome. Um, well, just to jump right into it here. So we're starting with before college, just the yeah. story of where you started as I would say before young adult years. So this is what high school, early high school, kind of yeah. middle school kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I think it was ages 10 to 18. Yeah. Kind of, kind of that, that, those, those eight year journey of I'm different mm-hmm. and, and really beginning to understand that there was, there was something that was just different. I could never put my finger on it early on as I was growing up, but the, you know, there would be thoughts in my mind that I would begin to obsess over. There would be, you know, actions. If it was, I would do stuff like wrinkling my nose 10 times before I could eat. Um, mm. There were just things that were taking place in my life as a as a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, that I was like, this probably isn't normal. Why mm. do I have to do these things? Why do I seem to fall into these different rituals in order to reduce anxiety? I didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew there was just something yeah. different about me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you say difference, you're saying difference, not like... Not like spiritually and stuff like that, but you're talking about a difference in your mind. Like there's yeah. something different than other kids around you. Yeah, is what you're saying. Yeah, just how I thought about stuff and 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 the things that I would do. You know, if it was um, you know, counting to certain numbers, if it was thinking about certain things a certain number of times, and and that was really early on. And then by the time I got to high school, it really began to be clear that, okay, I am suffering from something. I mm. just don't know what it is. So I'll give you a couple examples. Right. White pieces of paper on the floor. So any anytime I would go into a room and there would be white pieces of paper lying on the floor, I would have to pick up that white piece of paper. Huh. If I couldn't, 
Then I'd have to go through these elaborate counting rituals, 7, 77, 777, to try to reduce the, the anxiety that was in me. 90 degree because angles. Because there was a white piece of paper on the floor. A white piece, anything. anything. So the teacher, okay. could be up, the teacher could be up teaching, and I'd see a white piece of, you know, a ripped up piece of paper or a wrapper on the floor that was white. Like, I would have to pick it up to reduce the anxiety. Huh. And so... Well, one of the things I got very good at manipulating my environment in order to act upon these random obsessions that were in my mind, or I would create really elaborate counting rituals. Mm. So 90 degree angles was another one. Anytime I would go into a room where there was 90 degree angles. So for, for the listeners, you're just sitting in your room, like look around the room, look at the ceiling tiles. There's 90 degree angles everywhere. Where the light switch, there's four 90 degree angles. Right. I would have to look at the 90 degree angle and then do these elaborate counting rituals in my mind. Otherwise, I'd have these incredibly horrible anxiety attacks. But at the time, I didn't know what was going on with me. I just, mm. I knew this probably wasn't normal. Yeah. But I had to do it in order to get any type of peace in my life. Right, right. So could you kind of relate this to, I, I've maybe had very tiny experiences with like, okay, like when you're walking on a ground and you like step on a crack and yeah. then you have to like step on a crack with your other foot to like, yeah quote unquote even out the weight or something yeah. like to like make your body feel back to to like normal I don't I don't know how yeah. how exactly you explain that but that's super interesting yeah you like, know, and, and it was one of those things Sam that that where I began to know it wasn't just uh hey I you know I stepped on a crack and I step on the crack with the other foot or something that it began to completely control my life mm. it controlled where I went it controlled how long sometimes I was in a particular space um, I wouldn't want to go to new places, right? Because I might not ever return to that place. And what if I don't count every 90 degree angle in that room and I never return and something bad happens to me? So it began to have irrational thoughts, wow. irrational obsessions. And, and, you know, what is this that I am dealing with? So this really, really began when I was 14 years old in the eighth grade and, and walked through this journey for three or four years in absolute silence and absolute suffering, pain with no idea what was going on with me. So this literally turned from like, like a mental thing into having physical, like physical outcomes. Like you would feel this physically, the yeah. things that your brain was was psyching you out and and just the things that you were dealing with mentally yeah i mean you take like a take a white piece of paper and i don't get to pick it up and i have to leave the classroom i never got to pick it up it would lead to a series of very irrational mm. thoughts as in that i'm going to be penalized i'm going to be in trouble or i'm going to lose everything that i've worked for so these irrational thoughts would then lead to anxiety and the anxiety would be so paralyzing sometimes that you could barely even move you wanted just to go into the bathroom throw up you would isolate yourself in your room anything to try to rid the anxiety from your body mm -hmm. interesting so kind of backing it up a little bit as you kind of started to notice these patterns um Jake, why don't you just walk us through like how you remember that story yeah. unfolding and just every every moment that you went through kind of in that in that story, middle school to high school? Well, again, I have no idea what's going on with me. I just know that there's something that is off. Yeah. And the and the craziest part about all of this is at the same time, I became a, a very high level elite basketball player. And as I reflect back, I I probably became that type of basketball player just to escape the, the pain and the suffering I was in. The basketball court was always a safe place for me. Mm. 
But by the time I was an eighth grader, I was starting on a high school varsity team, Tartan High School, 4A high school in, in Oakdale, Minnesota. Um, I was averaging 25 a game by the time wow. I was a sophomore. I was wow. the 58th ranked um, player in the country my junior and senior year. Ended up accepting a full-ride scholarship to go play college basketball at Iowa State. So how I always share with young people is I was basically living two lives. Yeah, I was living the the life that... The world saw yeah. it was this elite basketball player, top 60 recruit in the country. And, and from the world's perception, I had everything that you could ever want, um, mm. fame and stardom. I, I had a vibrant personality when I was in the basketball court. I was yeah. in front of the media. You know, I, I could go anywhere. People knew who I was. And, and so I had this life that the world saw. But then I had this other life that I was living secretly saying, like, there's something wrong with me. And it, where, where it was incredible pain, incredible suffering. By the time I was 17, it began to really spiral me into a season of depression. Mm. And, and kind of bring this whole story full circle a little bit. And it just as we talk today, just want to kind of bring everybody up to this point, like I'm leaving high school, I'm going off to college. And kind of that's where I began to find Christ in those college years. But up to that point, I didn't know what was going on with me. I knew I had these two lives. The one that I didn't believe the world could ever see, the other that the world needed to see me as an elite basketball player and as a as a, a high academic student, A student. 17 years old, and I'm just, one day I'm just done fighting. The obsessions, mm. the irrational thoughts, the yeah. actions, yeah. the anxiety had become too much. And okay. I just decided one day I wasn't getting out of bed. I was done. I was done fighting. I, I didn't know what this was. I couldn't go to school. I didn't want to do basketball. I didn't want to do anything. And I remember not getting out of bed one morning, and my mom and dad came in the room, and and obviously red flags go up for them. They they had no idea what I was walking through personally or silently, mm. and they just knew, okay, this this is I like I refuse to go to school. So my dad walks in the room, and first time I'd ever shared any with anybody what I was walking through, and I began to share these random obsessions and these actions or compulsions that I was working or walking through, and my dad says, "Well, you have OCD." What what is OCD? Well, OCD is a form of anxiety disorder yeah. called obsessive compulsive disorder. Yep, and it is hereditary, and it runs it runs through my family, and and you often see this with mental illness that is hereditary, and somebody in your family line will probably have it and could get passed down to you, and you have obsessive compulsive disorder. And I'm like, well, okay, at least now I have a name for it, a definition right. for it, but now what do I do? And the first step that we took was it's time to go see a psychologist. Mm. And, and I remember the hope that that all of a sudden began to spread up inside of me when it, when it was like, okay, I'm known. My parents at least know the world didn't know yet. I've been, I've been, I've been found out. If you want to say, I don't have to suffer in silence anymore, at yeah. least in my own home. And now I'm going to go get help from this, mm -hmm. this doctor, or this psychologist. And, and I remember there's a glimmer of hope in those moments. Yeah. So, so Jake, when you're, dad started to share with you oh like you have ocd obsessive compulsive disorder like how was your how was your reaction to that where you did you ever f feel like a state of denial or like no this can't be me like i need to live up to this yeah. this expectation that i've set for myself i was in i was in such a deep dark place at that time that that i wasn't even thinking about the expectation or the platform or the college scholarship or or what anybody saw I was just like, okay, I'm going to get help. Mm. And and I would say this began the journey to false hope. 
Okay. So when my dad walked in that room that day and, and I began to share with him and he said, okay, you have obsessive compulsive disorder. It's a form of anxiety disorder. We're going to get you help and you're going to go to a doctor. Yeah. I'm like, okay, now this is going to be over. Mm. And I remember immediately in such a desperate state saying, now everything's going to be all right. Because right. you think back growing up as a young kid, anytime there's something wrong with you, you know, physically at all, you, your parents take you to the doctor. They give you some form of medication or do they do whatever you do? And then in a few days, you're going to feel better. And all of a sudden, I, would, I actually just was like relieved. I just placed my hope in that, in that psychologist, in that doctor's office, that, that the suffering was going to end mm. because I was seeing them. Right, right. So um, just before we kind of get into this idea of placing your hope in something that ultimately would not satisfy what would be jake an example for you throughout high school and dealing with ocd that you would use to kind of put a blanket over what you were dealing with like let's say you had like you had an episode during that day or you were having a really bad day with anxiety or and fits of depression um what would you then turn to in that immediate instinct all right i'm gonna do this to, to help myself feel better well, there were two things that I did. It's a great question. There, there are two things that I that I often did. Um, one is I ran to the basketball court. Okay. It, it was yeah. the one place that I was free or I felt safe. Um, I could take all that pain and all that, that stuff, kind of put it to the side, and I could go there, and it was a safe space. That was one. Two, I began all of a sudden in my life, and I think it was because of the maturity, too, at 17, I just began to place false hope on things. So a couple examples. First, it was, okay, I'm going to go to this doctor. And I remember going into the psychologist's office, and he sat across the table from me and would ask me all kinds of questions. And then the the hour session got over, and he said, okay, I'll see you next week. And I'm like, well, that's weird. I'm I'm leaving this place, and nothing has changed. Came back the next week and sit across the table from him, and, and I would share with him. And then what began to go through my mind is, this individual has no idea what I'm walking through. Right. Right. So all of a sudden I had placed a hope on a doctor. That hope wasn't fulfilled. So then I began to get angry. And I was like, they mm. have no, they, they studied it in a book. They went to school for it for eight, 10 years to become a doctor or a psychologist, but they don't know what I'm walking through. Mm-hmm. And, and all of a sudden I began to get withdrawn from the doctor. Yeah. And then in that place, in, in me withdrawing, then they brought in what's called a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist is the one that can actually prescribe the medication. Right. Not the psychologist. Yeah. The Different. Psych- psychologist was more to kind of talk to and let all of this stuff out and share with you. And, and I became super disengaged to the point that I've actually got my degree in psychology, so I can say this a little bit, um, that I hated even the thought of a psychologist. Like you, mm. All you want to do is talk to me. You don't want to help me. Right, what I realized right, right. now is I began to place my hope on that doctor, and that wasn't the reality of my healing. Well, and I mean, understandably so, if you're pouring out a lot of your heart and you're just getting a, yeah, yeah, I understand, that's that's difficult. It's, it's, and what's, it is difficult. What's really cool about, I mean, the Father that we have in heaven is it's a, yes, I hear you, and it's a yes, and yeah. you're loved. Yes, and you are my child. I have called you mine. Yeah. There's a yes and, and then there, there are so many practical steps biblically that I began to find out, you know, later on in college on, that led yeah. me into those places of healing and, yeah. and really drove me to the foot of the cross. 
But at this point, I yeah. was like, doctor. And then it was a mm-hmm. psychiatrist comes in. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you medication and and gave me. I remember the first time it was 150 milligrams of Zoloft. And you remember this was back in uh, 1998, 99, 2000 mm-hmm. timeframe. Right. So medication has come a long ways over the last 20 years. But so they gave me 150 milligrams of Zoloft. And I remember walking out with that prescription bottle saying, "I'm healed." I'm healed. Mm. I'm healed. And that's all I could keep saying to myself over and over in the car. I'm going to be healed. I'm going to be healed. Because my whole life, if I had strep throat, go to the doctor, get medicine. Three days later, feel better. Right. Ear infection, go to the doctor, get medicine. Three days later, feel better. So whatever, flu, go to the doctor, get medicine. Three days later, feel better. No one told me anxiety disorder doesn't work like that. Mm. So I had the Zoloft. I remember I started taking the medication. Two weeks goes by. Right. It had helped with the depressive state that I was in. But it wasn't taking away the obsessive thoughts or the actions or the compulsions right, right. and the anxiety. So right. I would go back and I'd share this with the doctor and they'd give me more Zoloft. And this went on for like two and a half, three months where I just kept going. I was eventually mm. at 300 milligrams wow. of Zoloft. Wow. And what it did. I can only imagine how that, how after just putting your hope in it consistently and once it gets stronger, the prescription might get stronger and stronger, the hope would kind of start to fade and you... Did, did you start to feel like just more in a, in a deeper pit? It, it drove me to the deepest pit. Yeah. And, and it made me so passionate about this topic at the same time now reflecting back on those days. Mm. But I'm like, okay, every time I, they would up my prescription, now I'm going to feel better. Now I'm going to feel better. Now there's a new hope. Now there's a new hope. And I remember I became, I got in such a horrible place. I was um, 18 years old. Um, we had just won a high school state championship for basketball. I had a division one scholarship to go to Iowa State. I was a Mr. Basketball finalist, right? So I had everything that you could ever want, straight-A student. So one, again, that's what the world saw. I was coming home from my girlfriend's house one night um, in Cottage Grove, Minnesota. And between Cottage Grove and Oakdale, there was this long, dark road lined with trees. And I pulled my car over to the side of the road one night and said, I can't live like this. Mm. Right? This is this is not how I want to live my life. To like, your girlfriend? You no, I was by myself. I okay. dropped her okay. off at the house. Okay. I was actually driving back home. And I sat and stared at this gigantic tree along the side of the road. Like, I'll just drive my car into the tree as fast as I can, and this will be over. Mm. Right? Doctors don't help. Medicine doesn't help. There is nothing that is going to heal me. And I can't possibly imagine living the next 60, 70, 80 years of my life suffering in this way. It would be better to die. Mm. And as I sat on that dark, lonely road staring at that tree... A, pop, a thought popped in my head. And the thought was, just hold off to college. right? So I was about five months away from going to Iowa State University on a full-ride college basketball scholarship. And as much as I wanted to take my own life that night, there was this, this thought that was going through my mind. The reason you're suffering is because of your environment. So now I've, now I've placed mm. my hope in something new. Again, I've placed my hope in a new environment. So once you leave Oakdale, Minnesota... Once you leave Tartan High School, once you leave the confines of your parents' home, like once your environment changes, then all of this will go away. And it was that thought that night, and and now reflecting back, I know it was from the Holy Spirit, but it was that thought that night that literally saved my life. It was another false hope, um, which we'll get into more in the, the next episode about right finding our true hope in Christ, and that's mm. where all of our healing begins when we lift our eyes to the Lord. But that night, placing a fall, another false hope in a new environment literally saved my life on that particular evening. Right. And that false hope being like, 
you know, when, when I get to college, this will all be better. I don't really know what it is in college, but it's just I need to get out of high school. It's just a phase. Like, just some things that were going through your mind, what would that be like? Just, you know, high school sucks. I mean, it's... Yeah, it, no, and I had I had great friends. I grew up in a great home. My parents were unbelievable. Right. Right, so, like, you know, the environment was good, but you just... You just start thinking, okay, when I go to a new city, I'm, I'm leaving Minnesota, I'm going to Iowa, I'm going to have new friends, I'm going to live in a new space, right? There's going to be a new basketball team. Everything's going to be a new beginning, if you want to mm. say. And I thought, including my mental health journey, there would yeah. be a new yeah. beginning. Now, the funny part in all of that is there was, and again, I want to get into too much, we just want to save it for the next episode, there was a new beginning in Christ and how God drew me to Ames, Iowa, not to play college basketball, even though I did that, but he was really drawing me to Ames, Iowa to draw me to himself. Right, Ames, Iowa of, of all places too, which is super interesting. Well, this, this will be this might be a real quick funny story for the for the <laughs> listeners. Is I grew so I grew up a you know I was a 58th ranked player in the country back in 1999 2000, and I grew in up high in high school or just overall overall in the whole United States. Wow. Yeah, and wow, praise God. And I had I had offers yeah. from everywhere. My dream was to go to the University of Minnesota. Like, mm-hmm. I still know the Minnesota fight song. Minnesota, hats off to thee. Right? I could sing the whole mm-hmm. song. I drew up mm-hmm. a diehard gopher. I did not want to leave the cities. In 1990, I was 97, 98, they went, Minnesota gopher basketball team went through a huge academic scandal with Clem Haskins. Yeah. And yeah. so he got fired. The school was going to go on probation. I didn't know what it was going to be. And it literally forced me to leave Minnesota. Mm, I would wow. have never left. I would have stayed here and played college basketball here. But it forced me to left, leave and take this opportunity in Ames, Iowa. Mm. Now, like looking back on it, I just see the fingerprints of God all oh, over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it's so cool. It's it's almost like laughable how intricate the work of God is and how God just orchestrates every single little thing ultimately for his glory, like something happening at the University of Minnesota to, I mean, for a variety of different reasons, and but in your case, to prevent you from going to the University of Minnesota to play basketball so that something even better could happen it, in Ames, Iowa. It, it is amazing. And, and the thing that's always amazed me the something most, Sam, so is, is this, I, this idea that God has his hands on his children even when they don't know he's their children. Oh, yeah. So I was an oh, unbeliever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I essentially grew up as an unbeliever. Like, I believe there's a God and everybody, God loved everybody and everybody was saved. And I had no concept of Jesus, salvation, the cross. Mm-hmm. Right? I, had no, I had no foundation there. So essentially, I was not one of God's children. I had never put my hope and trust in Christ. Yet, God's goodness mm-hmm. on me, that his fingerprints yeah. were on wow. my life. And he was orchestrating my life to move me to a place where I would get to know him. Wow. And I'm just always blown away that God... Not only loves those who have come to faith, but he he loves those that are still far from him. Yeah, praise God, that's so cool. Just changing gears like a little bit um, to kind of to kind of back it up and and tell a little bit more of this story from from years ten to eighteen. Um, how would you describe? And we're just going to get a little bit a little bit personal here, as as we have been, but like just the relationship with your parents and how you grew in that over mm-hmm. high school pre them pre them knowing about how you've been struggling with OCD and anxiety and, and depression, which, yeah. which so many people now have been talking about struggling which, with, and it's, it's a real thing. But pre you coming out about that and post, how would you say your relationship with them started and then, and then um, 
Yeah. Where is it grew. at today? My parents were unbelievable. I, I, I would say my dad was my greatest mentor growing up, especially from a leadership standpoint, becoming okay. an athlete. Yeah. Great relationship with my parents. But it was still one of those things. And I think this goes for anybody that's suffering. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things you still stay pretty silent about. Right. And it, and it wasn't until many years after I came to Christ that I had the boldness to tell my story. But I, I would say my, my parents knew what I was going through. I don't think they ever knew the magnitude of what I was walking through. Right. They provided the help as any loving mom and dad would and got me to see the psychologist. But most of my suffering was so inward. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I always thought I had to protect my reputation, mm-hmm. um, not, not just with my parents, but just in general, Right. Like, what's the world going to say about me? What you know, there are little kids lining up. Gyms were selling out to see me play basketball. What are all those people going to think about me if they really know that I'm crazy? And that's Mm. how I looked at myself. Like I was crazy. I was broken. I was a broken vessel. Right. I I, I was without hope. I was without form. I couldn't let the world know that. And like, did you know people who are also struggling with similar things that you were struggling with at that time? No, you know, so I grew up without a computer. I feel old even saying this. I grew up basically without a computer at my home, right? And, and Google wasn't a big thing. And I remember going to the library. They built a library in our little town, or not little town, in our city of Oakdale hmm. by the middle school. And I would go to the library and I would try to check out books on OCD. Like, does anyone else have this? Right. What is this? What's right. this about? Like, I'm seeing doctors and psychologists and stuff. They ain't telling me anything. I want to know what is going on with me. And and the stuff 20 years ago that was out there on mental illness was just so far and few between mm-hmm, that there weren't many mm-hmm. resources and certainly not many people talking about it. Right. So right. it was one of those just silent battles that I continued to walk through. And, and, and I also hope, you know, not just with my own family, but, but in all spheres, the story of healing that we're going to share in future episodes right. will just point others to the goodness of right. who our God is. Right. Yeah. Praise God. That's super cool. And so with everything that that we've just talked about, Jake, with, you know, starting out in high school with these thoughts and with this OCD that you had been dealing with and ultimately how that led you into to anxiety and then plummeting that into to fits of depression. And then that was just like a continuous circle. And then how your parents worked into that doctors, prescriptions, false hopes, all that kind of stuff. What would be something that you would want to say to um, our listeners here before we kind of move into the next part of the story, which is finding hope in Jesus Christ? Yeah, yeah and, that, and that's it. I'm so excited to share in our, our second episode, just sharing about that journey to the foot of the cross, but that there is only one hope. Yeah. And that hope is Amen. ultimately in Christ. So, so though we're suffering and though there's seasons of darkness— Right. And, and our desire is to place hope in anything often besides the love of Christ in which we're going to we're going to talk about more. So so my my challenge would be like stay in tune with us. Yeah. Like listen to this story and may this story point you back to the foot of the cross. Yeah. Don't give up hope. Right. right. Because there's healing on the other side. Like that's my testimony is right. walk through those deepest, darkest times. I've considered taking my life. I sat on that dark, lonely wo- road. But now, 20 years later, I can speak on the other side of it. And one of the most powerful mm. things I've ever heard said, there was a, a pastor here speaking last year, actually, at Grace Church, a guy named Rob Reno. And he said, never judge God in the middle of the story. And, and the reality is, that was the middle of my story. 
right? It was a little bit of the beginning of my story in the middle of my story. But don't judge God mm-hmm. in the middle of the story. Always judge God at the end of the story. Right. And this it, story is still going, it's right? Still, it's like you're alive. Yeah. You are well. Yeah. The Lord is working in your life. So this technically, like we are still in the middle of this story. So we're in the middle of a story that God is writing. Right. It's, so, that's what this to, whole podcast is about, right? Exactly. Like live it. And how do we live out, not just the great, the mountaintop experiences that we get the Lord with the right. Lord, yep. but the valleys. Mm. And for those of you who are unbelievers walking through this journey, I get a unique place to say, I was you. Right. I was walking a journey of mental illness, of suffering, mm. of darkness and pain without Christ. Mm. And here's what I know. It just leads you to more suffering, darkness, right? right? And, and hopelessness if you do not have mm. your Savior. And that's why we're here. That's what the Live It Podcast is about, right? Pointing people to Christ in different yeah. seasons of life. Yeah, amen. All right, well, and then we will continue more on just the next episode. So. Yeah, next episode, we'll, we'll jump into college, and I'll just begin to share my story about how another false hope was ultimately casted away, and I was the Lord just grabbed my heart and, and pulled me in towards him. Awesome, praise God.